Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter, uh, chapter, four, chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17 through 26. Um, 17 through 26. Why don't you stand with me as we, for, to honor the word of the Lord here this morning. And we stand to make sure that we know that, that, there, that this is a different setting, that this is the word of the Lord. This is God's word. So if you're going to take anything out of this morning, take this. Because uh, I am you know, a man and I can err in, in my preaching, but this is the word of the Lord. And so this is the thing that is most important that we know and understand here this morning. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power was uh, to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on, a, on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. You may be seated. So in 2013, I moved to Seattle. And you, you, many of you may have heard the story of, of what kind of got me that way. I, I, I was going for an internship out there to Seattle to go to a, a church called Mars Hill Church, uh, which was there. And uh, and, you know, I was going to go to do this, this ministry internship. And I wasn't going to go. I was like, meh, I'm not going to go. But, you know, long story short, I got laid off from the job that was keeping me there. And my grandmother, who was going to let me stay in her house, her house blew up in the West Fertilizer Plant explosion. And I was like, all right, God, I get it. I get it. I'm going. I'm going. Stop blowing things up. <laughs> but the reason I was going to this internship, you know, the, the reason for this internship was to be able to um, to be able to plant churches. That was where God had been leading me since 2010, was to plant network, basically a network of house churches, this network of groups of people, of believers, of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who met together to love one another, to practice all of the one another's in Scripture, to practice the life that we see in the book of Acts, the church that was unstoppable to the pagan world around them and to the Jewish authorities. In, the, in that culture and try to emulate that church, coming together, loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, encouraging one another, building up one another in love. 
And, and so I was doing this internship um, to, as a resident to be prepared, to be cultivated, to be taught, to gain experience, to gain confidence in God's calling and who, who I was supposed to be. And so I had expectations when I went into this. You know, I expected to get educated. I expected because part of that, they said, you know, they were going to sit down and have the, you know, the board and they were going to teach the interns and residents there uh, all about church ministry and church administration, which they do not teach you in seminary. If you ever know, they don't teach you about administration and what to do with money or budgeting. Basically, two ba- basic things to not, you know, to make a church survive. You know, <laughs> administration and money. You got to figure out how to do both. And they don't teach you that in seminary. They teach you how to teach the Bible, which is wonderful. I love that. I just wish they taught me how to keep, you know, keep a church, you know, from dying. And so, um, so all these things, you know, um, you know wanting to, this education, gaining this, this valuable experience, hands-on ministry in a church that, that's thriving. I had like 15, 20,000 people in the church across three states and, and like 15 churches. Um, and so I was like, this is a valuable experience. And I also expected to get some support, you know, encouragement and prayer and, and uh, you know, for, for the vision that, and, the, and the purpose that God had put on my life. But God did things beyond my expectations that I wasn't expecting. He, uh, he, he brought this man into my life named Barney. And uh, not the purple dinosaur, uh, but he was super tall. You know, he liked, liked Barney the dinosaur. But, one of, but the most, one of the most compassionate, most graceful, loving men that I'd ever met in my life. And I got to live with him for three months uh, and go through this, this program called Redemption Groups that was super, super helpful in, in my life and faith. And one of the most beautiful things was that I got to encounter grace in a way that I'd never encountered. I got to experience um, relational ministry, relational um, love and grace in a way that I'd never encountered in, in my life before, um, in, a, in a beautiful way. And one of the most amazing things with redemption groups, living with Barney, and the culture that I was a, being, a, being a part of with their, with their relational ministry, I gained some very deep healing for very deep past hurts in my life. Um, I never expected that. I expected to, to grow as a leader, to grow as a man, to, as a church leader, as potentially a you know, church leader. But instead, I got incredible healing for so many incredible, for so many things in my life. And I got married. Was not expecting that. You know, that's where Amberlynn and I met, was, was during that year. So we met in January and, and, you know, started dating in February. And we were engaged by April and married by August. You know, less than eight months, we're, you know, from getting to know her to married. And, uh, <laughs> it's, and so, you know, got a wife out of the deal. So it was great. Things I did not expect. God did beyond my expectations during that year. Beyond what I could ever even imagine, dare to imagine, or even ask him to do. And so this morning, in this passage, we've read this passage about this man being brought to Jesus by four friends. And maybe he didn't even know what he was going to be doing. He, maybe he was like, well, maybe this guy will pray for me. Maybe this guy has power. I mean, we've been hearing these rumors that this guy has been healing people. So maybe me too. Maybe me too. 
Or maybe he only does the demon stuff, you know, the, de- the demon possession. I don't know. What, well, you know, think about, put yourself in this guy's position. You know, this, this, these four friends were, were gathered around him and, and they're wanting to lead him to Jesus. You know, carry him to Jesus. Imagine the expectations. Maybe you've been tried to be healed before. You've, you've gone to see the physicians in the past. And every single one has not been able to help you. Not been able to help you. I saw another translation of the, the word paralytic to palsy. And if you've ever known someone with, with, with palsy, cerebral palsy, you know that it can be anywhere on the, on the scale from very minor to very severe. I mean, Josh, you know, Kirsten, and you know, you know, you know this you know, with, with Josh's job, that his job, you know, Josh's job is to build wheelchairs for people with cerebral, cerebral palsy. You know, with you know, the, the little tube and just the people who are very severe, who, who can't feed themselves, who can't do anything, all the way to my professor in seminary who had a, just kind of a, 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 kind of a, a bum arm, but he, he, he used it. He, he played it up all the time. My, my professor in seminary, um, he always called himself the T-Rex, you know, <laughs> and everything. So all the way from being in a wheelchair to just simply a, a minor thing. And so this man could have been anywhere in, on that spectrum. What was he expecting? What would you be expecting? Maybe you, you, have, you have an ailment and you've been praying about it for years. Maybe you've gone to the, the, the miracle worker conferences hoping to be laid hands over, you know, laid hands on and prayed for and healed. You've been trying here and there, going to that physician, going to that specialist. So this, you, know, you can feel what this man is feeling going into this. What is he expecting? What is he, how is he trying to prepare himself for either the best or the worst? So this morning, there, I have three simple observation, observations and one powerful truth. The three observations are this man's friends loved him. They believed Jesus could heal him and that Jesus healed more than just their friend's body. But it's interesting to note, if you look at this, this scripture again, look back. This account is more about the friends than it is, it is about the man. More about their faith than about the Pharisees' apparent lack of faith. And so the one, the one powerful truth this morning is the best way we love people is by bringing them to Jesus. By bringing them to Jesus. So, first thing, this man's friends loved him. This, the, you know, this love is a steadfast devotion, like we've been talking about, uh, if you've been here for a while. So the word agape in the Greek, that means, that means love, a godly love, it's only used in the Bible, uh, is this, this word that I, I feel is more attuned to more the chesed in the Hebrew than the ahava. The ahava is more uh, like fil- you know, familial, very more affectionate love, whereas uh, chesed is that steadfast devotion, that choice, that preference. Like, I choose you. Which is one of the reasons why I was very adamant about in, in our vows with Amber, you know, with my, with Amber Lynn and I, that forsaking all others and clinging only to you. You know, I disavow my preference for anyone else and put all of my preference in you for this marital love devoting myself to you. Steadfast devotion, this steadfast faithfulness, as it talks about in the Old Testament. God's steadfast faithfulness. There's even a song written about it. 
Great is Thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. We praise God for His steadfast faithfulness. There's even an entire song in Scripture that's read during Passover, which is next, next Sunday, next Saturday night. You know, the, you know, His love endures forever. His enduring love endures forever. This, that's this concept. These, these men devoted themselves to their friend. They, they devoted this, this steadfast devotion to his good. And because we can see in Scripture that these guys had three very great obstacles that they fought through that demonstrated that they were devoted to him. First was their uncaring, you know, was the uncaring, immovable people. Think about that. They came to the room. They came to where Jesus was since they could not find a way to bring him in. You know, they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. But since they couldn't find a way because of the crowd, because of the crowd. Now, I don't know about their culture there, but when you see people with a paralyzed man you know, on a mat trying to get him to Jesus and they're trying to say, excuse me, excuse me, I'd like to get in, you make a way. You, you make way for, for the miracle. You're like, well, I've heard of Jesus doing these healings. Let's give him an opportunity. Let's make a way. No, these people were uncaring, immovable people that were hell-bent on just simply hearing and discerning, like, who, who are these people? The Pharisees and the teachers. We'll get to those people in here in a second. But all these people were uncaring and immovable to allow this, this man to be let into their, their building. And so, but they're, they're like, not, they, they could have been like, well, they're not letting us in. Uh, we'll try next time. We'll, we'll try to catch them in a more convenient time. You know, no. They said, there's a staircase and there's a roof. Let's go. So they went to, they had to go through a roof, literally. <laughs> now, there's a couple different ways that I've heard, you know, that, that, the, uh, that the commenters and the scholars tried to, to, to describe this. Uh, one is that there is, this is a Hellenistic house. Um, and because, you know, the Hellenistic roofs were, were made with more like these tiles um, that were just sealed in between the tiles, like these ceramic tiles. I mean, the word is where we get the word ceramic, you know, from whatever the, yeah, Greek. <laughs> Greek is hard. Um, where we get the word ceramic from. So it's these ceramic tiles that they would seal up. Um, and so they, were, they think it may have been like a Hellenistic style house. This could have been you know, you know, the house of one of the leaders. Um, there's also some that say that this was more attuned to like a Jewish house where um, you have these big, you know, beams, these big wood wood beams. And then you have this series of sticks and then mud and layers. So it's like, it's about two foot thick, you know, mud layers that these people were like chiseling and digging through to get, you know, to open up a space big enough for their friend. Uh, another one, you know, another, uh, you know number, another perspective about this is that because what did Jesus do for a li- what did Jesus do for a living before this? Probably a carpenter. So this you know Jesus knows how to build things with his hand, probably houses. So this could have actually been Jesus's home in Capernaum that he built with his own hands. So I mean that's why he was like, oh, your sins are forgiven. <sighs> the work I'm going to have to do now on the roof because we're not you can't patch it. When you do something like that, you have to replace the entire roof is all intertwined together. And so, um, 
But so this, so they had to dig through this roof. It took work and there was noise involved. Probably so much so that there were begrudging people that were like, stop the noise. You're, you're getting dust on us downstairs. Like, they're like, no, we are getting our friend to Jesus. You would have thought at some point, like them trying to dig through the, through the roof, people would have been like, okay, we'll make a space for you. Just stop digging through the roof. We'll make, we'll make way for you. But no, they, they ended up being able to dig through the roof. Do you, do you have friends like this? Can you pinpoint four friends in your life that would be willing to, A, carry you on a mat, plow through a roof, do, you know, destroy things, destroy public property, you know, private property, and be singular focused to get you where you need to be in life? Do you have people in your life? Here's a second question. Would anyone consider you this kind of friend? These friends. Let's look more about these friends. These friends believed that Jesus could heal their friend. Let's talk about those Pharisees. Let's talk about, so last week, we talked about the priests. Now, the priests and the Pharisees are two separate things. And I didn't even realize this until doing my research. So, you know, scholars are, are you know, posed that these Pharisees weren't even an actual, like, they're not even biblical. The, you know, the, 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 these, these Pharisees were kind of a, a subsect group of people that just kind of rallied themselves and gave themselves, gave themselves authority, calling themselves Pharisees. And these Pharisees, the, the word for Pharisee in, in, the, in the original language means separated ones or separatist or to, 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 to uh, divide or separate or purist. Basically saying, we are better than you. We don't, we don't hear anyone doing that today, do we? There's this new word called virtue signaling. It's not just one side or the other that does these virtue signaling. We all virtue, it's like, like, that's like the number one thing across every board in our society that people do today. Try to make everyone else feel lesser or fi- try to lift themselves up to a place of higher authority over other people around them by trying to, to kind of posture themselves with their virtues. Look at me. Look how virtuous I am. Look how much better than you I am. Look at this post that I'm posting on social media. Look at this whatever, fill in the blank, in my life. That, this, these Pharisees were like the ultimate virtue signalers in their culture. They gave themselves authority. And guess what? People went along with it. Because when you posture yourself to say, to tell everyone, you're lesser, we're better, a lot of people, do, people just step in line. And so that's what, that is who is filling the room. Pharisees, teachers of the law, or, or as, the, as the Bible calls them, scribes. These would have been the scholars. These, so this is basically like, 
you know, this great group of people that, is, that have given themselves all authority, you know, say like parachurch organizations and all these different things. And then you've got all of these professors, these tenured professors who have filled the room, filled this house with their presence saying, let's see if you're good enough for us to support you and affirm you. And if you're not, we're going to demonize you and knock you down. That's the kind of culture that, that that's the kind of, that's the room. You know, I talk about the elephant in the room. You know, a lot of times you go into, you know, that meeting or you get that text message. We need to talk. Everyone, you all, feel, you all felt it, didn't you? Like, oh, I, hate, I hate that text message. You know, hey, can you come here for a second? We need to talk. Oh, I did something wrong. That's, this, that's the air of this meeting. Jesus, you've done something wrong and we're here to make sure that you know that we're better than you and we can either give you praise or, or destroy you. So, the stage is set. Jesus is on, is, you know, the spotlight's on him. This is his opportunity to gain all the religious, this, this authority and notoriety among the prominent religious elite. This is a, his number one opportunity to, to go into prominence, to say, yes, I'm going to fulfill my mission, become popular throughout everywhere, become a, a great rabbi, recognized by the Pharisees and the scribes. Because you know, going to these pastors' conferences, a lot of times, that's, you know, you go to this conference, there's a great guy up there. I mean, the, thankful, I mean, the guy, the people that have gone to conferences, you know, too recently have been really, really great and humble people. But, you know, think about, like, sometimes you go to these, I go to these pastors' conferences and, like, these pastors have written books and I'm surrounded by all these pastors, you know, have done all these great things. You know, there's, like, scholars in the crowd, like, oh my gosh, did you meet, did you meet this guy? He's in the crowd, like, oh, ooh, he's there. Jesus is set, the stage is set for him to gain prominence. He's up on stage about to speak. Impress them, gain favor, authority among the people, and he blows it. Jesus messes up. He screws up according to their standards. According to the standards of the religious elite, Jesus failed. And this kickstarts Jesus' religious critics. <laughs> this is like the beginning where it kind of kicks off this now us versus, that, versus him. These religious elite against this, this false teacher, this false guy. But it's interesting to note, even like last week, Jesus sent this, the man who, was, uh, who had leprosy to the priests. Because A, they're biblical. B, they glorified God. And when it, it was when the man told the priests who stood in the place of, of God for, the, for God's people, they were blown away and they glorified the Lord for what Jesus did. They didn't try to like discern and like think, you know, overthink the situation. Well, how did he do it? Did he do it this way? Like, did he... Did he like speak from afar? Did he touch you? Like they didn't overanalyze it. They're like, glory to God. That's awesome. Praise him. And word 
like, spread like wildfire about this person who did this miracle. And everyone was glorifying God. But it was the fuddy-duddies with, a, you know, with something up their booty that were like, let's make sure he's good enough to be a part of us. Make sure he gets our stamp of approval. So they 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 took this this word and they threw it they in their minds at least they threw it at Jesus. This word blasphemy. It's like throwing around you know words like treason. Something that is treasonous against God that deserves death. And these men, in the blink of an eye, went from who is this man to let's kill him. He didn't, they didn't disagree with what he was doing. They disagreed with how he was doing it. Like, for instance, they say, you know, blasphemy, let's look at this word. You know, blasphemy for them is a human infringing upon divine prerogatives. You know, blasphemy is, is this sacrilegious, you know, profaning holy things or God's holy name. You know, being irre- you know, irreverent or you know, ha- speaking with irreverent speech about God or the holy things of God. Treating, you're basically treating the things that are holy as common. And that to them deserved death. Blaspheming God, blaspheming his name. But here's the thing. Jesus was saying incredibly, extremely holy and reverent, sacred things. But their, their unholy minds could not handle it and they, reject, and they rejected them because they were so holy. And Jesus' actions proved his words to be authentic, proved his words to be true. You know, his weighty words, his very sacred and, and deep, rich words skip their mind. And here's what happens. So Jesus heals this man and shows that the friend's faith was well-placed. The friend's faith in Jesus was well-placed. Jesus healing the man proves that he has authority to forgive sins and heal people. That's what Jesus was saying here. He's like, you know, he, he, he didn't start off with the healing and then say, oh, and then you, and your, your sins are forgiven too. He started off with, your sins are forgiven. He, it's like Jesus was like picking a fight. Like poking, poking the bear. How can I make you mad? This is going to be fun. We all know those people, right? He might be one of those people. <laughs> Likes poking the bear to see what, see what, you know, what comes out. You know, Jesus was poking the bear. He was wanting to get a fight. He was getting, wanting to get a rise out of these guys so that he could show them the weightiness of who he was. Because here's, here's the thing. Jesus has all authority as he calls himself the Son of Man so that you know that, uh, where is it? That uh, yeah, your sins are forgiven, um, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He sets it up like that. 
The Son of Man, this, this phrase we'll, we'll see throughout the rest of Luke. Luke loves this phrase, the Son of Man, to define Jesus as the Messiah. This comes from Daniel 7. I, continually, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a, there it is, a Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's Yahweh, the Father, and was escorted before him. So this is setting up this context in this prophecy of Daniel the, uh, the, this, they saw that, that phrase, Son of Man, and they saw it as, this is the Messiah. This is God's anointed one. And basically, this is Jesus saying, you remember that guy back in Daniel? Yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm him. He's saying he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, without actually saying it. By saying it. He has all authority. But, it's super offensive. This, this phrase, calling yourself the Son of Man, is super offensive to the lost and the religious who both reject him. The lost reject him, the ones who don't want God at all, and the super religious who want a God but of their own making in their minds, their own mental making. But here's the reality. Whether lost, religious, everyone needs their sins to be forgiven. Every single person on this earth has this singular need. This guy in this, in this passage wasn't alone. Every single person in that room that Jesus was speaking to, even including the four friends on the roof, needed forgiveness of sins. A wiping clean of the ledger. You know, like, like Black Widow from the Avengers always says, I got blood in my red, I got red in my ledger. We all have red in our ledger. Until Christ enters in. We all need forgiveness of sins. And what did he say? Your sins are forgiven. And get up and walk. Here's the thing. Both of these are impossible without God. You can't have forgiveness of sins without God. You can't get up and walk after being paralyzed with palsy for, for your entire life without God. And that's why Jesus, that's the point. Jesus said, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority both to forgive sins and to heal. I say to you, get up and walk. He says the second to justify the first. To fulfill one is to fulfill both. This is the kingdom of God on display. This is what it's like. Restoration, healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, worship. This is the kingdom of God on display before their very eyes. And what is the kingdom of God personified by? Reconciliation and restoration. Healing what was broken, restoring what was lost. Forgiving sins to reconcile this person back to God and getting up and walk to showing, you know, to show that God is a God of healing and restoration. Body, mind, heart, and soul. That's God's desire. This shalom, this flourishing life as God intended it to be. And this is what we're seeing in this passage. 
God's display of shalom in their presence. Not simply physically healing, not only this, but spiritual healing as well. And that's why we see here, Jesus healed more than just his body. Wholeness, shalom, flourishing in every area of his life. That's God's desire for us. That's God's desire for you. Wholeness, healing, shalom, flourishing, life as he intended it to be. Life and faith beyond expectations, beyond your expectations, beyond my expectations, beyond our world's expectations. I love this, this, uh, this phrase. Uh, this guy Bengal says, the bed had borne the man, now the man shall bear the bed. You know, that, the, 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 the bed defined the life of this man. But now, Jesus defines his life. Will you carry the burdens and strains which used to carry you? Do you define your life? Are there things in your life that you would say, that defines me? Or would you say, greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world? Greater is the life that God has for me than the life that I feel restricted to live. Will you bear that bed? Or will the, bear, will, will the bed bear you? Will your, your troubles and your trials and your, and your sufferings and your frustrations, are, are those things the things that define you? Do you allow them to define you? Or do you say, these things might be in my life, but I am bearing them because I am in Christ. Greater is he who is in me than anything in the world. Even the evil one who wants to keep me in that bed. And here's the coolest thing. The greatest miracle of all wasn't the, 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 the healing. Was, he was forgiven of his sins. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. This man may have lived the rest of his life, could have lived the rest of his life as a paralytic or a cerebral palsy. He may have lived the rest of his life with an ailment, but he would have been forgiven of his sins. There's a story of this, of this woman who, um, I may have told it before, but this woman who was you know, loving Jesus was about 30 years old, and was struck with chronic pain throughout her entire body. Kept her bedridden, or at least in a wheelchair. And she was angry, angry at God. And this, this, you know, this minister came to visit her. And he kept saying, you're blaming God for this. Stop blaming God and worship him, love him. He wants good for you. She kept fighting him, kept yelling at him. And then, one day he came in and just sat with her and was showing her the love of Christ and the Holy Spirit just washed over her in a way that was, that was healing and blessing and stirred and healed her very heart and spirit. And she worshiped the Lord, came to faith in Jesus. 
even though she was not healed of her chronic pain and she eventually died after years of suffering. But she redirected that frustration and anger and put it into worship. All that passion she put into praise and wrote songs that are in many of the hymnals nowadays. One of which is Just As I Am. Just as I am without one plea. That was used by Billy Graham at all of his crusades for decades and saw thousands, probably easily over a million people saved through the ministry of, of Billy Graham. And the altar call every time was just as I am. Even though Jesus may not have healed, you know, wouldn't, you know, may not have healed this man, even though he did, even if he hadn't, the greater miracle, the greatest miracle of all, is the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about this in probably a few years uh, when we get to Luke ten. But <laughs> he says, "Don't rejoice that your spirits that, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." They were sent out to cast out demons and to heal people. And they're like, yeah, all that stuff is cool. It's wonderful. It's great. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is the greatest miracle of all. Because all miracles point to Jesus as the Messiah for the forgiveness of sins and to receive his grace. So don't miss that. Rejoice. Even though there's, there's trials, even though there are, are sufferings, even though there are things, you know, there's trauma after trauma after trauma happening in our lives because of everything going on in our society, that God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That your name, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have been baptized, is written in heaven. So we, we pray and have faith that God will heal. But like the men in, you know, who wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, even if he doesn't deliver us, even if he doesn't quench our pain, even if he doesn't take away the chronic pain, even if he doesn't take away the suffering, even if he doesn't take me out of, the, out of this difficult situation, I will rejoice that my name is written in heaven and I am a part of his kingdom. And that is greater than any suffering. That is greater than any circumstance and can bring joy in any circumstance that is beyond understanding, beyond comprehension. Now, I had a great experience in Seattle at Mars Hill. Met some great people. The greatest thing was what I wasn't expecting. They loved me well by leading me to Jesus. Who in your life needs to be pointed to Jesus? Well, this is obvious. Everyone. (laughs) Every single person in this world needs to be pointed to Jesus. Not just the unbelieving, but the believing us. We need to point each other to Jesus. When we're trying to encourage each other, Lead each other to Jesus. 
when they're trying to correct each other, lead each other to Jesus. It's all about leading each other to Jesus. Lead one another to walk by the Spirit, to walk by His grace, to love one another out of His love, out of the overflow of His Spirit within us. But who specifically in your life is God putting on your mind right now? They need to be led to Jesus for salvation, for encouragement, for life, for joy, for healing, restoration, redemption. How can you bring them to the one who can truly heal them? How can you bring or lead people to Jesus? We'll just go with the simple answer. Talk about him. Talk about, you know, talk about, you know, testify. You're going to get a witness. Y'all are witnesses. We are witnesses to what he's done in our life. Your life is a story. Your life is the gospel in action, walking around this world. Your life is the gospel in flesh. An embodiment of the gospel of Jesus Christ through your words and through your life. Talk about him. Bring him up in conversation. Like people bring up the election. Like people bring up COVID. Like people bring up certain things that are important to them. Bring up what's important to you. Because Jesus, hopefully, he's important to you. Don't be afraid that they're like, oh, we don't talk about religion. Well, I don't talk about religion either. Like I talk about this amazing God who you know, created you and, uh, and created this amazing thing. Like I, here's my testimony. I was healed. I did this. I've seen joy in my life. I've never been drunk, never been high because God delivered me. That was my testimony. Or God saved me out of a life of desperation. God showed me his reality. I can go and go for a, go for a hike and truly get the most out of it because I know the one who created that mountain. I know the one who created that river. I catch the fish and I praise the Lord for it because he made it. Talk about that which is important to you. Talk about him. And whenever someone, you know, asks for recommendations, you know, uh, you know on a- Ask Bozeman or Ask Belgrade, we give them honest answers, right? And who wants, pe- you know, who wears the best pizza place? Oh, go to McKinsey River or go to Cosmic or you know, stay away from Domino's. Ew, yeah. We give people legit recommendations for things. You know, best barbecue. Oh, hands down, go to bar three or my house. You know. We give people great recommendations out of things that bring us joy, things that we love and can give a great raving review about. Let's give reviews and recommendations for our faith. Talk about him. Talk about him. Here's the questions you, know, you can be asking yourself as you're talking to people. Ask yourself, how, how is this person paralyzed? They may be paralyzed and not even realize it. Maybe a, a paralyzation of their heart. Maybe they've been hurt. And there's a wound. This, you know, this mental, this, in their spirit, how is this person paralyzed to Jesus? What obstacles do they face? What do you believe may happen? Like the friends asking themselves these questions. Well, how's this person paralyzed? Well, he's paralyzed. Matt. What obstacles do they face? We got the, you know, we saw, talked about those three. 
What do you believe may happen? We believe that this man can heal our friend. So we're going to fight tooth and nail for our friend. And maybe your way of fighting is prayer. Your friend or your family member. Praying for them. Because Jesus heals what was broken and empowers us to do more, to move and mobilizes us to step into a new and better future. And we lead people to Jesus. Because we believe that God can lead them into a better future for their lives. Because we've experienced it ourselves. We follow Jesus into his new future. That is better than we could ever, ever expect or imagine. What the, could the life of this man and his friends be? I mean, we're not really told, but what if one, you know, this, the paralyzed man or his, and, or his friends or any number of the friends, what if they became part of the 12 or part of the 120 that followed Jesus? Maybe this was Barnabas that followed Jesus. It wasn't part of the 12, but he later was a great you know, early church father in the church because he'd walked with Jesus since the beginning. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just posing it as a what if. This kind of this is the creative license. You know, they talk about like, in movies like taking creative license. Just kind of what it, what who could these people have been? Did they just go home and live their life away from Jesus, or they were like, I want to follow that guy. Not only did he heal me, you know, you know, not only did he heal my friend, but I want to, I want to walk with him. Man, this guy's awesome. I can imagine these five people following Jesus for the rest of his days, being a part of the early church. What if this was Barnabas who walked with Paul? You hear what I just said? Walked with Paul because Jesus healed him. What things could God do for his kingdom through you if you said yes? I'll speak, I'll pray, I'll do whatever you want. I just want to do it with you, God. I don't want to like try to work for you and like mustering, I'll pull up myself by my bootstraps and like get things done for you. But God, I'm going to open myself up for you to do all that you want to do through me. And I get to watch. And I get to be blown away by what I see you doing, Lord, through my life. And that's the question that I want to leave us this morning with. How can God move and speak through you if you just say yes so that you can lead people to Jesus? Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for this account of this this man's friends and the life that you gave to him and the the proclamation of who you are. The proclamation that you have the authority to forgive sins because you are also the one who heals and restores. So God, here this morning, I pray that you would stir within us, Lord, the desire to be used by you to open ourselves up, to say yes to speak, to say yes to act, to say yes for you to work through 
that we would truly walk by your Spirit every day of our lives, free from guilt, free from shame, free from religion, free from sin, free from everything, Lord, that would keep us from following after you and saying yes to you. We want to follow you, Lord, so that we can just enjoy watching what you're going to do. God, I pray for that to be lived out in our lives. That we would see amazing things. Lord, as you showed in your, in your word, Lord, signs and wonders. You promised, God, that, you, that we would see signs and wonders, greater things than even the things that you did on this earth. And Lord, I pray for that here. I pray for that in your church. I pray for that through our hands and through our prayers. That we would say yes to you, Lord. As we place our faith in you, that we would see you doing wonderful things. As we point each other and everyone we know to you, Jesus, because you are the author and perfecter of our faith, the creator who hold all things together by the word of your power. And you can restore, and you can reconcile, and you, Lord Jesus, can bring shalom. So we ask you, God, to bring your shalom through us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.